from a mindful perspective where we're able to keep ourselves calm and regulated, then we can look at our children's behavior as communication rather than as them being difficult or them they're challenging and they're they're just they're having these bad behaviors, right? No behavior is bad. It's it's just communicating that the child is struggling with something. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com slash parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello. So today we are here with Kelly Winkler, a certified K through eight teacher, a 200 hour registered yoga teacher and a 95 hour registered children's yoga teacher, a kidding around yoga trainer, co-host of the podcast Mindful Conversations with Kay and a mom of four. Kelly has been working with children and families for over 25 years. She has focused her work on yoga and mindfulness for the past six years. She teaches children of all ages in a variety of settings and works with parents, teachers, and therapists to educate them on how to bring yoga and mindfulness to both themselves and the children in their lives. Welcome, Kelly. So happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So first of all, I have to ask, mom of four. (laughs) Yes. I have three, 20 months apart, and that was pretty crazy. So how far apart are your kids? How old are they now? Yes. So my oldest is 18 and then almost 19. She'll be 19 in April. And then my next is going to be 17 on Sunday. His birthday's coming up. And then I have a 13-year-old and an eight-year-old. And I have two girls and two boys. The girls are on the end. The boys are in the middle. (laughs) Very nice. Very exciting. So you've got them all over the board. You've got tweens, teens, you've been through adolescence, and you still have one kind of bringing up the the tail end there. (laughs) Yep. 
So when I heard mindfulness, the first time I heard about like mindfulness and parenting, I got to be honest, like the first thing I thought was, oh my gosh, don't give me one more thing to think about and one more thing to do, <laughs> right? Um, but I also have noticed that just a lot of the stuff that I already do as a you know positive parent, peaceful parent, there's a lot of that in there, but yes. mindfulness really takes it to another level that I think can be so important and so helpful in raising our kids. And I've been talking a lot in the podcast lately about mental health. So we're going to get into some of that about how mindfulness can really help raise our children with strong mental health. So we're going to get into some great topics today, take this a little deeper. So I would love to hear from you. Why mindfulness? What brought you to this path? Yeah, it's a really personal story. I, you know, I started out um, my career early on when I graduated college, I actually first worked in the hospital setting at a pediatric hospital and I was doing um, support for families with children with chronic illnesses. And, and then I found myself in the classroom and then I started to have my own kids and I, I was home with them for a while. And uh, I was always an anxious person myself, even though growing up, you know, nobody called it that back then. I was just considered that shy kid. And so when, when I started to have my own children, of course, I had a few that were also anxious. And when my oldest daughter was 12 years old and started middle school, the anxiety hit its height and she really started to struggle. She was having panic attacks in school. She had transitioned to, to middle school, which in our town, they went from a elementary school in just our town. And then we have a regional middle school. So four towns come together. She was really overwhelmed with that transition. And she had a really hard time transitioning in into middle school. And of course, you know, that's a hard time anyway for, for kids with all the hormones and all the changes that are happening in their body. And so she was really having a, having a hard time going to school for, for a period of time. She actually was going to school only for two hours a day is about all that she could make it. Um, and then she was being homeschooled for home instruction for the rest of the time. And so we had her in all kinds of things and her therapist, and we were trying, you know, um, acupuncture and, and all the things to try and help her cope with this heightened anxiety that she was having. She was eventually diagnosed with panic disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder. And her therapist said, let's try and get her into a kids or a teen yoga class and see if we can get her to utilize some of these mindfulness practices that we're, we've been trying to introduce her to, but she doesn't seem open to it. But let's, let's see if we can get her into a kid's yoga class with other teenagers her age that maybe she can sort of identify and, and see that they're trying it. And then so we found her a teen yoga class. And they have some of the same struggles that she's having. Yeah. And so we found her a teen yoga class and she just fell in love with the practice. It really just opened up a whole new world for her. And she really actually fell in love with meditation. And she started meditation practice and started to learn how to use her breath as an anchor. And this just opened up a whole new world for her that she felt empowered, that she actually had tools within her. She really looked to me most of the time for support, which was why she was really having a hard time going to school because she she just felt she needed me all the time if she was going to have a panic attack that I was the only one who could get her through it. And so when she started to really realize that she had these internal tools that she could use herself, it, it just, 
it, it really, like I said, opened up a whole new world for her. And we started this journey of healing. And of course she was getting therapy and doing cognitive behavior therapy for her OCD, but this mindfulness practice and breath work and meditation coupled with that really was what made a big, huge difference for her. And then alongside of her, as she was beginning her, her practices in yoga, I had done yoga previously during college and during my pregnancies, but never really stuck with the practice. But since she was doing it, I was like, you know what, let me start practicing again, because I want to be able to do it with her and sort of guide her through. And I started to um, get a strong yoga practice myself and realized, wow, I really didn't realize how powerful this could be for me and my own anxiety. Not only was I an anxious person, but watching my child deal with her anxieties was really a challenge. So I developed my, my own practice and it was so powerful. And at the time I was also a preschool teacher. So I said like kids yoga, like I didn't know that was a thing. I never heard of it. So I started researching, like I was having children in my class that were struggling to separate from their parents and they were anxious and, you know, kids were having trouble dealing with big emotions as they do as they're, you know, three and four years old. And so I thought, we've got to get these tools to them. If she had had that when she was a toddler and a preschooler, wow, it could have made a big difference in, in the way that her, you know, her trajectory. So I started researching, looking for kids yoga and how do we, how do we introduce yoga to children? And I found a training that uh, was run through Kidding Around Yoga that was coming to local studio about 20 minutes from my house. And I signed up and really I fell in love with the program. I fell in love with the way that we can make it accessible to children and to families in such an inviting and engaging way so that we can start them out young and so they can take these practices with them. These are practices that they can use for their entire life. And so I started on that journey and then just slowly started to move in that direction. I eventually got my 200 hour uh, yoga teacher certification and my 95 hour children's yoga teacher certification. And eventually I left the classroom and now I work for Kidding Around Yoga and I'm out there teaching families and children and other adults how to, how to bring these practices uh, to all the children in their lives. Wonderful. You know, I think there's a lot more anxiety going on and happening in our children's lives than, you know, in on a bigger scale, much bigger scale than we're really aware of. And so it's definitely something that's really important. My daughter has some anxiety. She she says she has social anxiety. She hasn't been diagnosed, but she did this amazing drawing. And I, I'm going to put it up on my Instagram page of what it feels like to have social anxiety. And, and she's so creative um, in the in that way. And it's this drawing of like all these eyeballs on her and she's like shrunken so it's so interesting how people can express themselves that way. But so looking back at your daughter, or even as yourself as a child, what are some of the indicators do you think that indicate that there's more anxiety going on than just like kind of the normal big emotions for kids? Sure. Yeah, it's it's hard sometimes to, you know, tease out what is normal, right? Behavior, especially, you know, for, for my oldest, she was my first. So I, I didn't know, you know, what I was really looking for. It's, it's hard to know. Right. <laughs> Three out of my four kids really struggle with anxiety. Uh, you know, my, my, my one son seems to sort of not, not get too ruffled <laughs> by too much. Um, but the other three definitely have um, some anxiety. So 
you know, I got better at recognizing that, but, you know, definitely looking for them, avoiding things, you know, birthday parties were always really hard for her. She, you know, transitions from home to school or to having a babysitter come and me leave the house was always really challenging. And, and, you know, that can be normal to some extent, but it, when it gets to a point where it's interfering with, you know, their daily life where they can't do things that they really want to do. She would want to go to dance class, but then we'd get to dance class and she'd freeze and she wouldn't be able to go into the room unless I went in with her. And, and so things like that, that seem, you know, of course, new experiences are, are challenging for all kids when they get there, you know, they have to kind of feel, feel the room and kind of, you know, warm up and, and that's normal. But when it gets to a point where they're unable to do the things that they really want to do. That's where you can and see that it's at a level where, you know, maybe, you know, you need some, some help in guiding them through that anxiety. And it seems like, especially when it's ongoing, like if it's once or twice, that's kind of normal. But if it continues and continues and you have this continued battle of, I really want to do this thing. And then I get there and I don't want to do it mm-hmm. week after week. There's something else. Sure. They need some deeper help with. Yeah. Great. So, um, you know, I definitely want to talk about, you know, the mindfulness and helping kids with anxiety for sure. But also it seems like it not just seems like it is something that can help anyone anyway, parents, absolutely, children who are more neurotypical, who don't necessarily have anxiety disorder. So what are the benefits of mindfulness for both parents and for our kids? Yeah, let's just start out really by by defining what is mindfulness, right? It's a big buzzword now that everybody's talking about, right? Right. We hear it a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, but really what is mindfulness? And when we look at the definition of mindfulness is, which is really focusing one's attention on the present moment and acknowledging our feelings, our thoughts, and our physical sensations. And the key here is without judgment. So not trying to change anything, but just being in that moment and accepting whatever is. That's really what mindfulness is. So it's like, I'm scared right now without judging myself for being scared about what's happening right now. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. And noticing, oh, my, my body's feeling tense. I'm, you know, what are the thoughts I'm having? Well, I'm right for somebody with social anxiety, which I can identify with your daughter's <laughs> drawing, because that's, that's the kind of anxiety I. I had as a child and and still do, you know, what are the thoughts I'm having? Oh, everybody's staring at me or, you know, I'm going to say the wrong thing or I'm going to look silly or what are those thoughts we're having? Just kind of noticing the thoughts, noticing our body sensations, noticing what are, what are the feelings that are coming up? And then just, you know, being in that present moment with that, noticing our environment and 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 what's going on. So that's really the base of what mindfulness is and why that can be so helpful is because when we are in a stressful situation for anyone, just the average person, not necessarily somebody who has anxiety um, issues, but just the average person, when we get into a stressful situation or we're faced with a challenge, oftentimes our mind wants to go to the future and worry about, is this going to work out? Is this, you know, how is this going to be? What's going to happen? Or we want to go and ruminate on the past on how we handled a situation or what happened or, 
you know, kind of replaying things over in our mind. We want to go to that future and the past. And it's really easy for our brain to do that all the time. So when we can anchor ourselves in the future, we're able to take that stress response and come down from that stress and that stressful thinking and that those stressful body sensations and bring ourselves back into the present moment. Like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not five years down the road, whether I'm going to say a teenager worrying about, you know, are they going to get into the college that they're, you know, because of this one test, right? Oh, coming back here into this moment today, right here where I am, not worrying about what's coming in the future can dial our stress levels down. And we know that when we can come back from that stress response, I love how, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel, um, do you know Dr. Dan Siegel? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I love how he talks about that, how we, how we flip our lid. And when we're in that stress response, our, our frontal lobe goes offline and we really can't think clearly. We can't like be good problem solvers. We can't have meaningful interactions with the people who are around us because we're in that stress response. And so we know if we can come back to the present moment, ground ourselves in right where we are, that we can bring that, that frontal lobe back online so that we can think clearly and make good choices and be good problem solvers and have positive interactions with those, you know, around us at that moment. So you can imagine as parents, right, we're constantly, (laughs) we're constantly challenged, right? I was just going to say that. Yeah, as parents, like when we're challenged or in that stressful situation, our child's melting down or we're trying to get dinner on and they just spilled a bunch of stuff. And that's so helpful bringing ourselves back to that present moment. Yes. Yeah. And that's the first step really in being able to use mindfulness as a parent. It starts with us and being able to regulate our own nervous system and say, okay, let me see. I feel myself getting worked up. I feel that stress coming let me pause, let me ground myself, take a few breaths, come back to this present moment, and then we can respond to our children rather than reacting to a situation uh, in a stressful way. So for grounding, I hear you say that a lot, like grounding ourselves, which is great, like bring ourselves back. So I heard you say breath as one way. Are there other ways that might work better for different people for grounding? Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Not everybody feels comfortable anchoring to our breath. Our breath is a great way. You know, it's a really fast way to get to regulate our nervous system because taking those big, deep inhales and really slow, long exhales causes physiological response to quiet that nervous system. But that doesn't always work for everyone. So tuning into our senses. So some people are, you know, really tactile. And so maybe having some type of tactile, you know, thing that you might do, whether that be just rubbing our hands together and, you know, coming back into our body or, you know, music is really helpful for some people. So putting on a song that makes you feel happy or calm and relaxed is, is helpful sometimes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, sometimes tuning into a visual focal point. So a lot of times, like with children, we'll use the calm, the glitter jars, right? We shake up the glitter jar and just have them watch that glitter, you know, fall down to to the bottom of the jar, nice and slow and to kind of slow them down and, and give them a focal point to come back to this, this present moment. So our, our senses are really powerful in, in grounding practices. 
Great. So the parent is just having a struggle, they're having a hard time. And so they can find the tool that works for them. So and you know, when we hear this, we know, oh, that that would work for me, or that would probably work better for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do want to talk about the breath for a minute, because you mentioned um, some very specific skills. It sounds like there's like a very specific way to do it as far as like, I don't know, it's like counting, or something as far as like how long you're inhaling versus exhaling. Is there a specific technique for that? Yes. So we there's two things that I I'd love to draw draw attention to. And one is our breath as far as where we're breathing into. Oftentimes we're we're chest breathing and we don't realize shallow breathing. Yeah. Yeah. And we really want to get that breath all the way down into our belly. So even just placing our hand on our belly and trying to take a nice big inhale in your nose and seeing if you can make that hand on your belly move out uh, so that you really, you really are getting that breath all the way down into your belly. And then on your exhale, you always want the exhale to be longer than the inhale. So counting is a great way to do that. And so maybe you want to start out by inhaling for the count of five and then exhaling for the count of seven. Okay. And that's kind of a good way to, to start to pace yourself. And then you can work on that. And they really say, Inhaling for the count of seven and exhaling for the count of 11 is a really good pace that helps the body to come to that relaxation, relaxation phase. So is that like a full like second count? Yeah. So, so if you want to practice it, we can, we can do a, I can do a little example. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I know when I do one, two, three magic with parents, like parents will say one, two, three, but there's has to be space in there. So, you know, we could go one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Right. So to get that example of what does that really sound like those numbers is helpful. Yeah. So, so if you know, you want to, you want to sit up tall and like I said, we're going to take a nice breath in our nose. So let's count it out. Ready? Inhale, two, three, four, I'm already full. five, six, seven, <laughs> <I'm already full. laughs> exhale, Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. So, and as I said, that's long. Okay. So that takes control. That takes practice and control. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and you want to, you want to have a little pause at the top when you inhale a little pause, you know, of a retention and then an exhale. And again, a little pause and that's long. So for somebody who's never practiced breath work before, like I said, maybe you want to start with like five and seven. Okay. Cause that was seven and 11. So, um, you know, you can, you can build up, build up to that, but the, the, <laughs> yeah, I was full by four. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't have any more in <laughs> and I'm breathing into my belly. <laughs> yep. It definitely takes practice. <laughs> very good. That's very helpful. Yeah. The, yeah, the breath is a great anchor. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. 
air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep, and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T. P-U-R-O-A-I-R dot com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HIPAA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. So our kids, so let's say, okay, we're working on as parents. We're like, okay, I like the breath thing. I'm going to do the breath thing, or I'm going to rub my hands together, or I have, you know, some music I'm going to put on and I'm, I'm working on that and I'm good. Okay, now we're going to teach our kids or try to work with our kids on anchoring to themselves. How do we talk to them about that? Yes. Well, I want to make one note to say that remember that we're never going to teach our kids a new skill when they're in a challenging time. (laughs) So if they're having a hard time and they're melting down or they're feeling anxious about something, that's not going to be the time that we're going to teach them these tools, right? When we're in a nice calm state and everybody's relaxed, that's going to be the time that we're going to practice these tools and practice them all the time throughout the day. And we can, we can talk about that later about weaving this into, to our daily routines, Uh, but practicing them when they're calm and relaxed so that when they get to that stress, stressful time, they can recall it and they've practiced it already. I just talked about that. My podcast that I just recorded the other day is exact same thing. (laughs) Perfect. So important. So important to remember. Yes. Yes. For kids, we want to give them visualizations and, you know, concrete ways to see this. So um, have you ever heard of a Hoberman sphere? No. Okay. So it's like a ball. I should have um, brought my, my example, but it's a ball that starts out small and then you, you pull it apart and it gets bigger. We call these breathing balls, but 
if you look it up online, you can look up Hoberman sphere and you'll see they come in all different sizes. But we have these, these and we call them our breathing balls and we show them to the kids. And then we say, when we take a breath in our nose, the ball is going to grow just like our belly is going to grow, right? So we're going to take a breath in and we pull that ball open, making it nice and big. And then we pause for a second and then we tell them, blow out your birthday candles and they blow out their birthday candles and that ball comes back to being small again. So we'll tell them, smell the flower and blow out your birthday candles. So that's one easy way that you can, and they can even just do that with their hands, right? Make their hands pretend they're holding a balloon, right? And so they're going to blow into the balloon, inhaling in their nose and then blow out and squish the balloon. That's a great way using like pinwheels and bubbles, of course, for the little ones is another really easy way to get them to focus on their breath. And then for the older kids, uh, we do something called a five finger breath. And this helps with that slow counting of the breath. So we tell them to make a fist and then they're going to inhale for the count of five. And so you're going to open one finger at a time. And then opposite, you're going to close one finger as you exhale. So it's really just getting them to focus on the breath and slow it down. Very nice. And so we practice this when they're calm throughout the day. And then when they are starting to get worked up or they're getting worked up, if once it's a little more of a, of a skill or a natural thing they've practiced, yes, then they can get the reminder to help pull them back. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, even for my kids, sometimes they don't, my eight-year-old, sometimes when she is, you know, uh, having a hard time, sometimes she doesn't want me to talk, right? And anytime I try to remind her of the things that, of the tools that she has, you know, she she doesn't want to hear it. So just my audible breath or me just physically showing, not saying anything, me just breathing and doing my hand motions or pulling out that Hoberman sphere and just me doing it physically can remind them. And then usually they'll, they'll sort of catch up with you and, and start to, to copy your, your breathing pattern. Um, so sometimes it's holding them on your lap if they're little and, you know, just really breathing in audibly nice and loud and nice and slow exhales. And then they'll, they'll start to match that. Very nice. Very good points. Um, Cause yeah, they, you know, any more stimulation sometimes is just too much. They, they can't handle it right in that moment. And, but mm-hmm. being that example is so perfect and such a great point. So, yeah, I love this. So you were talking uh, earlier, you said talking about bringing the, the practice in throughout the schedule of the day. Yeah. So, you know, we can weave this in through our day. A lot of times for the adults starting out, if you want to start a mindfulness practice, sometimes it feels overwhelming. Like, I don't know, how do I start? Where do I begin? And so I usually tell people just pick one type of practice. So if you're going to start with breath work and you want to, you want to start there, just focus on that for a while and link it up with something that you do every day. So for instance, if you're a coffee drinker, while your coffee's brewing every morning, just stand by the coffee maker and take three intentional breaths. It doesn't take long. We don't have to do it for 20 minutes at a time to make it a powerful practice. We just start slowly. How I started when I first started my practice was I, you know, being a mom of four, I was always in the car driving to all the activities and the pickups and the drop-offs. So every time I would get in the car, 
I would put my seatbelt on and I would, before I would start the car, I would just take three mindful breaths. And then before I knew it, just like how I put my seatbelt on, I don't even think about it. I was doing that every day, just naturally. And so that's kind of what you want to happen. You want to start a, a routine. So link it with something you do. Maybe it's when you brush your teeth, you know, just smell the mint toothpaste, take three intentional breaths before you brush your teeth every morning and, and every night. And then slowly your body starts to do that naturally without you having really to, to think too much about it. And I started to notice myself that when I was getting into stressful situations, I was naturally returning to those deep breaths because I was, I was training my body to do it every day. A couple of times a day, I was, I was getting in that car and I was breathing. So that's my first um, tip if for parents starting the, the practice. Just attach it to something that you do every day already and, and then just be consistent with it because we know that consistency helps us to grow, grow the practice. And then for the kids, you know, we just make it fun and make it really engaging. And so maybe it's everybody sits down to dinner and, oh, let's smell our food before we take it, before we take our first bite. Let's see if we can take a breath, smell our food and let's blow it to cool it off. Make sure it's not too hot, right? It's just, it's not, they don't really realize in their practicing breath work. We're just kind of making it fun and engaging. Uh, maybe it's, you know, when they're getting their sneakers on and they push their foot into their sneaker and they take a big breath in and lift their foot up and breathe out and stomp their foot down. And then, you know, you tie their sneaker, you know, so you're kind of like just linking it into things that they're already doing and kind of making it fun and engaging for them, uh, along the way. I think just the, what you call the Hoberman sphere? Is that what you called it? Mm-hmm. That would just seems like that would be fun. I want to try it out <laughs> just to play with that. I think a lot of kids would have fun just doing that part of it too. <laughs> it is. They love it. Keeping them in, in all different places, keeping one in the car, keeping one at home, classrooms, you know, have them now. And so it's, it's, it's great. Kids love it. And I love how you talk about fitting it into the day because, you know, we're so busy, we're constantly moving. And I know, you know, as a parent, when I'm coming in and out, taking this kid to school and that kid to school, and, you know, there's these little parts of the day that it's not enough time to really do much. Like, I can't be writing an email, I can't be focusing on much, Mm -hmm. but I have these little sections of the day and we tend to pick up our phones, right? And start scrolling our phones. Well, instead of doing that, if I'm, and so I started doing that with house cleaning. Now I'm going to start doing it with breathing too. But I started just like, I'll sweep up a room in that time just to fill that little space. So I'm not wasting the time, but it's a perfect time to practice the breath. Right. And start bringing that into awareness and bringing that in as a daily practice. So that that's terrific. And then doing that with our kids too, yeah. like not ta- not having to take out a carve out another specific time of the day, but just figure out a time in their schedule that just fits in. So that's, that's great. Yeah. Bedtime's another really great time to, to practice that as well. Kids, a lot of kids have trouble falling asleep and using some of these mindfulness practices. I mean, doing, doing a, a visualization and a bedtime meditation is great, but even just taking like a little stuffed animal and l- let them lay down on the bed and they put that stuffed animal on their belly. And then we just tell them to give their stuffed animal a little ride by breathing in and out, making their belly go up and down. And they just love to lay there and they can see that little stuffed animal going up and down. And, and we tell them, you know, you're, you're rocking, you know, your little dog or whatever it is to, to sleep. <laughs> and then they're really focused on it and it really relaxes the kids uh, at bedtime. So 
So even something little like that, and it, you know, just for a minute. Wow. Another great tip. I love it. So this is all just wonderful. I'd like to talk about, um, kind of the long-term effects for mental health for our kids. Cause I've been doing a lot of episodes on mental health and how the mental health of kids is really, um, has declined over the last about 15 years since 2007. And so I think all of this mindfulness and just starting this little practice and then bringing it in more and more, um, sounds like it would be a really great for their mental health, not just short-term, but long-term. Yeah. This is like a, a really, a big multi-layered answer, um, for this, because of course, um, just on the basic level, as I said, we're filling our kids toolboxes with coping skills. They're, we know life is stressful. They're going to hit stressful situations, whether they have struggle with anxiety or depression or, or, or they're just, you know, experiencing life. We know they're going to hit stressful times and challenges. And so we want to fill their toolbox with as many coping skills as we can give them. And every kid is different. Every person is different. So like we said, like I said earlier, sometimes breath work is not the thing. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's movement. You have the kids that really need that movement to regulate their, their bodies and their, their nervous system. So, so teaching them that they can just shake out their arms and legs and all those different things fill their toolbox so that they they have that like in their backpack ready to go when they get to a stressful situation they know they can handle it that's so empowering for kids and mm-hmm. what a what a great way to keep the the stress levels down so we don't get to that heightened level of having mental health issues and you know um of course it's you know sometimes that's going to come and and these can be really great tools in guiding through healing through that process and and, and all of that as well. So that's on the, on the one level, but then also I would love to talk about how parents can use mindfulness and looking at their children's behavior, because I really think it is linked to both the mental health of parents and the mental health of our kids. So when we can approach things from a mindful perspective, where we're able to keep ourselves calm and regulated then we can look at our children's behavior as communication rather than as them being difficult or them they're challenging and they're they're just they're having these bad behaviors right no behavior is bad it's it's just communicating that the child is struggling with something has a need of some sort yeah yeah there some need is not being met so it allows us to be more present for that Yeah. And so when we can be mindful and be in the present moment, we can look at that behavior and say, wait a minute, let me, let me look at, this is deeper than, right. I love that the, um, the iceberg, uh, analogy, right. The behavior that we see, the, the, the kicking and the screaming or the not getting dressed for school is just the tip of the iceberg that there's something underneath that iceberg. That's, that's causing this behavior to come. What is it that they're feeling challenged with what need is not being met Mm -hmm. down to the basic needs of, did they have enough sleep? Did they eat breakfast? Did they, you know, are, are they having a physical discomfort? Are they getting sick? Are they, you know, do they have a headache or a fever that they haven't been able to express to us, right? Those, those basic physical needs. And then also the other challenges that might be like, for instance, you know, my, my youngest, she struggles with social anxiety as well. And so 
transitioning out of the house to go to school is really, really hard for her. And it comes through in behaviors of she has, she has a lot of challenges with getting dressed. She has a lot of sensory issues that don't come on other days where we don't have to go somewhere. So, so we know it's not the actual mm-hmm. clothing that's the issue. It's that she's feeling anxious about going to school. So everything doesn't feel good in her body at that time. So for me, if I don't ground myself and like make sure that I'm in the present moment, I can get so frustrated. Like we've got to go, like the bell is going to ring. You're going to be late for school. I've got to get to work. Like all of this starts spiraling and then we can. And then the, then the whole reason wasn't really addressed. Exactly. And what, what am I communicating to her with my tone of voice, my facial expressions, my words and my language? What am I saying to her? Oh, I'm saying to her, like, there's something wrong with you, like basically without saying those words. Yeah. Or, or your feelings don't matter. What you're dealing with doesn't matter. What matters is you need to get dressed and get out the door right now. Exactly. And there must be something, she must be thinking there must be something wrong with me that this is so hard for me. Mm -hmm. And so if I can stay in that present moment and recognize, wait a minute, she's communicating that she's having a hard time. You know what? We need to connect. She needs connection right now. And sometimes it's me dropping everything and just giving her a big tight hug, which I know works for her because we've, (laughs) we've worked through all of those tools and we know like what works for her. And so it's no talking. It's just a big tight squeeze and giving her that sensation that makes her body feel calm. We do some breath work. And then when I can feel her body physically relax, you know, let her know like, okay, like this feels hard for you right now. I know going to school feels really, really hard, but we can do this together. And then you know, before we know it, the the pants are on, the sneakers are on, and we're able to get out the door. Sometimes parents think like, I don't have all the extra time to do all this, this extra mindfulness things. But what we don't realize is when we can be in the moment and be present with them and connect and, and engage them in a mindfulness practice, usually our goal of getting out of the house happens a lot faster than if we were trying to push uh, against that. Yes. And in the future too, right? It helps in the future interactions as well. And it saves us time in the future because it's an investment yeah. in our, for our future interactions to make those go more smoothly. Also, because as you said, like you've discovered what works for her. So sometimes there is that trial and error. Absolutely. What, what works for this child and what doesn't work for this child. And, you know, once we pinpoint that, yeah, you know, then we're then we're golden. We're like, we are like, okay, I know mm-hmm. the go-to I know, but yeah, those knockdown drag out fights are just, they can go on and on and on because you're just butting heads. And so then you're spending all this time trying to force and they're trying to get their needs met and heard. So it slows down. Yeah. And then just think about the long-term effects and when we bring it back to mental health, right? How much better does she feel about herself when she's like, Oh, my mom sees me. My mom sees that this is hard for me. Yeah. That's okay. She's accepting my feelings. She's not scared of my, my, my big feelings. There's nothing wrong with me. Like, and I have the support and, Oh, I can do this. And, and that sets her up for so much better self-esteem and self-confidence in herself, being able to handle those hard situations. And and being able to accept her own feelings, you know, it's, you know, when, when we were kids, it, we didn't, we didn't get our feelings validated, right? <laughs> so 
So it was not that, you know, it was, we were, we were taught to push our feelings away and, you know, then it, then it takes a lot of relearning. <laughs> just deal with it. Yes. Just deal with it. Get over it. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> right. Right. And the other thing that, you know, you said that so beautifully, the other thing our children learn is if I am really struggling, my mom is in my corner, my dad's in my corner, my parent is in my corner, and I can come to them rather than just go, oh, I'm just supposed to ignore this. Right. And then it gets worse and worse until we're in a crisis yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they don't want to be the challenging, challenging kid. They don't want to give you the hard time. Nobody wakes up saying, I'm going to give everybody a hard time today, right? I really want to give them, yeah, exactly. <laughs> See how mad I can make one of my parents yeah. today. Yeah, that's not the goal. <laughs> not the goal. Yeah. Well, this was really helpful. I loved all of this. Such great tips and advice. So tell us like where people can find you and anything you'd like to share about what you're doing, how parents can can find you and get some more help. Yeah. Sure. So you can find us at kiddingaroundyoga.com, our website. We have certification courses that you can take uh, courses on to become certified to teach yoga and mindfulness to children. But we also have an online parenting course teaching a lot of the things that I talked about today. We have actually a free relaxation and meditation course for to to teach relaxation and meditation for children. It's a short little course um, on a little online um, self-paced course that you can sort of get a little taste of what it's about. You can find also more tips that I give with my colleague on our podcast called Mindful Conversations with K. And that K stands for Kidding Around Yoga. It's K-A-Y. And so you can find me there giving more tips every week. And then also on Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at Kidding Around Yoga. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise today. I think this was extremely helpful. I learned some things. I'm going to work with my kids a little bit more on some of this stuff too. So when they get, get more upset and I'm going to go get one of those balls, I think my kids will like that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me and letting me share. It's, it's such a passion. So I always appreciate when people offer up their platform so we can get more, more people to become aware of these powerful tools. Yes, for sure. 